IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, we hash out trends. In this episode we're going to be talking about albums by two very successful indie acts who originated in the aughts, Sufjan Stevens and Fleet Foxes. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Steve, you know, do, do you remember back in the day? Like, I know that basically every one of our episodes starts with back in the day, but um, <laughs> it, do, do you remember back in whatever day it was, you know, when you would like a band and you would be kind of ahead of the curve, and then a couple years later, maybe other people start catching on and Maybe right. you start to feel a little possessive, you know? Of course, yes. Uh, that's not been the case for me pretty much ever since I've been a music writer. Like, if I like a band, then, like, a couple years later, people start catching on. It's probably because I spent those past two years very actively pounding on the table, demanding that people listen to this band. Of but course. in the past couple of weeks, I'm starting to get that old feeling again because, you know, after walking the wilderness in 2017 and 2018 <laughs> alone... In the past week, in the past two weeks, it has become super cool to dunk on idols. And man, I <laughs> like where were you guys in 2018 when they were eviscerating toxic masculinity? And I mean, I, I'm like kind of joking. That's actually like that's actually like what gives me like weird sort of feelings nowadays about like you know when I see bands getting dunked on, I sort of feel bad for it to the point where kind of might have to check out the idols album to like maybe take a new contrarian viewpoint i don't know man i'm feeling i'm feeling very confused right now which is what i'm saying i'm glad that you were able to shoehorn uh idols into this episode (laughs) because otherwise we would never be able to justify talking about that band you never know dude what what if what if they actually like achieve their goals of like ending racism like everyone said their last album did more power to them. I, I hope they make it happen. But you know, there was that story this week where some dude from what was Sleaford that Mods and flat and fat white fat white family, which fat I fat white thinking, family. Yeah, and I was just I, like, man, I I wish people in America gave a shit about any of these bands because we could talk about this and dig into <laughs> it. But like, nobody cares. Like, I, and, and who and cares I also, about idols? I, and well, a lot of people do, but I mean, in England, I don't. Th- I, yeah, but, I, yeah. But, but, come on, I was, like in America, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Didn't you say like at a pup show, you you're a bunch yeah, of those t-shirts? Like at but, those okay. sort, at those sort of shows. But also, I sort of wish that like American bands would get into it the way they do in Britain. Like, frankly, oh, yeah. I don't. I don't listen. It. I I could care less about Sleaford Mods and like That Way Family. But the fact that they're like all going at each other and like you know. I don't wish that, you know, Noel Gallagher and Ian Brown would say, like, coronavirus is a hoax, nor Van Morrison. But, like, I don't know. It's it, it, I feel like they're saying more interesting things, you know, because when you talk to enough bands in America, um, you, you, you hear, like, what they say, like, under the radar. But they don't take this stuff publicly. So if I have to give any sort of, you know, um, recommendation to, like, look at the uk music scene as opposed to american rock like that's it i'm there for the beef man oh yeah i mean look i am a public yeah i know lover of, of rivalries i love it yeah bonus but again, episode my, <laughs> but again my problem is that 
no one cares about these bands in America. So it's like, it'd be like talking about some sort of interscene, like, you know, uh, battles between basically bands that just inspire think pieces. Like, that's what I think of idols essentially being in America, that they're a band that people write about, but it's like, is this like Gabbo? You know, I'll make a (laughs) Simpsons reference. It's like, they're like the Gabbo of indie rock. It's like, does this band actually exist? Or is this, is it just something that people talk about? You know, I, that, I, you know, I that's know. our next, that's our next episode. Who was the Gabbo of 2010s indie? <laughs> Cause I, I got a few ideas, man. And it definitely oh, yeah. ain't, and it definitely ain't idle. So, well, see, I thought you were going to maybe bring up the Rolling Stone albums list uh, uh, in this, in this intro. Steve, uh, Steve, an hour is just not long <laughs> enough to even begin to scratch the surface of that. <laughs> I mean, all I'll say on the Rolling Stone list is I'm just going to quote The Dark Knight where uh, there's that famous line where they say, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see your album fall out of the canon. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that is, you know, that's all I'll say about that. Um, you know, and I think we have a lot of other things to talk about in this episode. We have two pretty big records. By, yeah, let, let's talk about know. the canon. Let's talk about the aughts canon, if we Exactly. Were. I feel like this is, you know, I was thinking about this, that this is like a year where like a lot of the aughts heroes are coming back. You know, we had a uh, Bright Eyes Killers episode. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing a Sufjan uh, Fleet Foxes episode. Um, am I missing Tokyo. any? I, Tokyo Police Club, I'm ready for that album when it's dropping. <laughs> Tokyo Police Club. Yeah, they Is had that... some bangers. Like, don't, like, do not get it fucked up, man. Those first two records, those first two records go. Is that considered landfill indie? It kind of is. It's, okay. yeah, it's like Canadian landfill indie. Oh, yeah. We have to do like a, <laughs> like a North American landfill indie episode uh, awesome. to, to uh, balance out that British list that came out recently. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about Sufjan Stevens. Now, a okay. little background, of course, sure. before we talk about the record. <laughs> Sufjan Stevens, of course, one of the biggest stars of aughts era indie, and really it still is like a pretty big star yeah. in the indie sphere. His breakthrough record comes out, of course, in 2005. It's the record Illinois, and uh, that's a huge critical hit, topped all sorts of critics' uh, year-end lists. It's also like a pretty like decent-sized commercial hit as well. I think it's mm. still like his most famous album, probably by a wide margin um would you say like uh i, I mean like, it's, his I most, like... it's his most iconic i wouldn't be surprised if carrie and lowell uh like did better maybe commercially uh just maybe or, i just feel, or i just if, feel like, like if call me by your name maybe was like you know his song from that that might be his biggest hit but i think if you were to like look at the definitive like if you were to describe what sufjan stevens is or what he did you would say like yeah illinois that's the one I mean, I read the Atlantic profile that uh, ran, I think, uh, either this week or last week. And Mm -hmm. the lead of that story is the writer talking about how the publicist told him not to ask about the 50 States project. (laughs) So I feel like that's a sign that Illinois is still like his calling card that people are still wondering, hey, when are you going to make the other 48 albums about, you know, American states? And the the, the funny thing about it is like if you want to look at how – I don't know, indie famous Sufjan Stevens is like around last year, there was a really awesome ringer uh, piece about like the 50 state project, like how it began. And like, they weren't celebrating an anniversary of any record. It was just like, Hey, let's, this is something that's still on people's minds. Um, exactly. You get a really cool, in ether. and you get like some really cool indie, like inside baseball stories about like how uh, the pitch for score of Michigan was like changed over a weekend and if it like weren't for that, this we might not be having this episode. Um, I think Zach Schoenfeld wrote it. Really interesting if you're like into 
indie rock ephemera, particularly of like the more of the Wild West early aughts. So anyway, the Illinois <laughs> comes out in 2005, but preceded by Michigan, as you mentioned. Yeah. And then he makes The Age of Odds in 2010, which mm-hmm. um, I think for a lot of people has become the sort of interesting Sufjan Stevens record, the interesting curveball. I know for me personally, as someone who was a little cool to Illinois when it came out, that's a record that I gravitate to a little bit more. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in this episode and how it, mm-hmm. I think, links to the new record in a way you referenced the record carrie and lowell which came out Mm -hmm. in 2015 this song cycle very personal record about a family tragedy another huge critical hit a very beloved record and of course he's putting out other albums in the midst of these two that aren't sort of full-fledged sufian stevens project you made reference to his contributions to the call me by your name soundtrack which garnered him an academy award nomination for the song mystery of love all this is leading to the new record the ascension and this is a record that uh, Stevens himself has described as his angriest and most political album. Hmm. Uh, I, 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 ref- I made reference to that Atlantic profile before. And in that story, he says that I'm inherently a pessimist. And he goes on to say that typically in my music, I, t- I try to put on a more cheerful facade. I guess Carrie and Lowell be- being the exception. But in this record, I'm really letting my pessimism show. And uh. it's <laughs> it's interesting because... We'll talk about the lyrics here in a minute, but I feel like there's two things going on in this record where you have these politicized lyrics and music that I think is the poppiest of his career. Like when I was listening to it, I kept thinking of Depeche Mode uh, in 80s synth rock. Now, it's possible that that was implanted in, in my mind because... He literally says, I'm not your personal Jesus yeah. in the song Video Games. So maybe that was just sort of like a suggestion to me. But I think there is that sort of, again, Depeche Mode, Tears for Fears feel to a lot of the songs. As well as I was getting some like almost like Nine Inch Nails, like the fragile vibes mm. from this record. Maybe just because of the epic nature of it. And there's some gothy overtones to, to some of the songs. And then there's other tracks like the single Sugar that almost like maybe think of the Chainsmokers. Which is not, uh, you know, a complimentary comparison. Perhaps I don't necessarily mean it as a put down, but again, just yeah. kind of speaking to the poppiness of this record. Um, I have other thoughts on the album, but I'm just curious. Like, what what do you think of this record? So I'm I'm glad you brought up the fragile. I mean, it's kind of stealing my bit because like it does sound like Depeche Mode in some places, but what I get is like the one that came up to me. It's like Smashing Pumpkins, a door. And the fragile as well, like kind of that late '90s post-electronica alt rock, where it's not like the 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 synth sounds are like kind of gothy and rudimentary and very hollowed out. But in general, like also like those two records I mentioned, this one's really fucking long. Like I'm not <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I've not been able to sit down and listen to the entire album front to back. I mean a number of things that could attribute to that. Like, first off, it's a really long record, but so are other Sufjan Stevens albums. But, you know, what happens sometimes is that, like, I think nowadays, um, when you most people experience the record, like, when it drops, records don't leak anymore um, or anything like that. And it's, like, it's hard to find that much time to sit down and, like, absorb an album. And that's, like, I feel like I'm, like, becoming one of my real-life friends. Like, you know... I don't know what like what people are like in your life, you know, the people you socialize with and talk about music. But most of my friends are like, oh, yeah, I read Stereo Gum. I read Pitchfork in college. But, you know, they kind of lose touch. 
and you know because they get like real jobs and they're not following right. music writer Twitter. I, I'm like, am I? I feel like I'm becoming one of those guys in a way because like a Sufjan Stevens album like that is like hold the phone, put put you know put the kids to bed. I, I don't have kids, but you know figuratively speaking, and just like focus on this. And it's like, uh, you know, I listen to bits and pieces of it and um you know it's kind of the way i did with age of odds um to me that's like uh it's just like really imposing and i think that's kind of the point of this record um one thing that's like stood out to me though is even with um you know winning an academy award and his ability to sustain he didn't win he was nominated Ah, uh, well, that's what I get for not actually winning. <laughs> that, that's what I get for actually not watching these things. But um, yeah, I, like he over this past seventeen years, it's really hard to find someone who sustained their like goodwill and popularity better than he has, despite the fact he puts out album like real albums every like five years. And it, am I crazy for thinking that this album, like the reception of the singles, has been very, very lukewarm? Oh yeah, th- th- that's definitely true. I think. Especially given that it's a Sufjan Stevens record, you expect a certain level of excitement, and I'm not getting that uh, from this record. And at the time that we're that we're recording this episode, I haven't seen really any reviews yet. I've only seen I have profiles. How are the yeah. reviews so far? Um, a couple of like super positive. Others sort of talk about like how uh, it's it's a dense, really challenging work, and uh, you know. In a way, like his pessimism or like a song like America, for example, um, and those and, and those songs like kind of it's hard for them to stand out because like that's every that's what everyone's writing about. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the thing with this record, you, you mentioned the length. It's like an 80 minute record, um, which, yeah. as you said, like that's fairly typical for Sufjan Stevens record. I think mm-hmm. Carrie and Lowell was. Very short, Again, the exception. Yeah, it's about a forty-minute record. Um, the thing with this record, and this is also going to sound like a backhanded compliment in a way, but it is made in such a way that uh, it's a zone-out record. I think in a lot of respects. Yeah. That um, the 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 tablet that he's that he's working from, like sonically, is relatively like like narrow. Like it, it is again this sort of synth pop sound. And in that way, it's not like the Age of Odds, which is this very dynamic record. It's all over the place. It's it's noisy. It's proggy. It's I think more deliberately confrontational than than this record. You know, as I was saying before, like there is this dichotomy on the album where lyrically, uh, it is this again very aggrieved, angry, you know, upset about the state of the world and the country. There's also a lot of spiritual overtones to it, and uh, I have to give a shout out to Chris Deville over at Stereo. Oh uh, yeah, he ki- he killed it. He did. That's the only review I've read about of the record. He he did a really good job of breaking down the religious overtones of of the record. That was sort of the focal point of what he wrote. Um, but musically, it is not angry. It is a very sedate record. Yeah. And uh, it is. It does feel at times like one of those chill out playlists that you mm-hmm. hear on on, on Spotify. Um, and I have to say, like for me, you know, I don't know how intentional that was. He has talked about how he was trying to offset some of the anger of the lyrics. I think in a way he almost diffuses the anger mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, it's not like a record like Pure Comedy, for instance, where the lyrics are foregrounded. And I feel like like Father John Misty on that record almost like 
made the music simpler and almost I, I think one of the complaints of that album is that it wasn't musically dynamic enough mm-hmm. and it was lyrics front and center like you couldn't ignore the lyrics and if you weren't down with it you were going to hate that record whereas with this album i think it's a lot easier to tune out the lyrics and maybe that's a good thing because some of these lyrics are like pretty trite yeah i wonder if that's like an intentional thing when you look at like uh, make me an offer i can't refuse or run away with me or uh video games for that matter like i think whenever there's an artist who's accumulated a body of work like sufjan stevens and like has so much goodwill yet you always like give them the benefit of the doubt with something like that oh it's like oh what he's doing is challenging the subtext of trite pop songs not like (laughs) adding on to that pile which i i probably i think he's probably doing right here because because like I want to give like video game the benefit of the doubt because like what he's saying is like, you know, I don't know, like a critique of like, like basic, like he's not saying like, like, you know, getting off your smartphone or whatever. It's like talking about playing video games or like watching TV and how that makes us all kind of like zombified or, and it's like, this is not a new sentiment, but you have to wonder if like that's, if he's, I don't know, trying to let, I don't think people are looking. I don't think Sufjan Stevens is really going to tilt our political um, conversation at all. Well, well that's the thing. Like you know, and you know, more power to him for writing the record he wants to make and, and yeah. saying what he wants to say. But it's like I'm not looking for like an angry political record from Sufjan Stevens. Like this isn't like a Run the Jewels record. Well, you Run know the Jewels. I mean? Run the Jewels is like backyard barbecue music nowadays, man. It's like, I know, but like you know what I mean. But that's like their yeah. brand. Like we're we're gonna you know we're the like middle aged rap group, but we're also gonna do like the sort of old school like protest yeah. song, like Barry on the Nose type yeah. of of doing that sort of thing. And you know, like when when I first saw video game in the uh, in the uh, is it video game or video games? I, I think it's video game because so, there are so, a lot of there are a lot of songs here that like kind of reference previous pop songs like Sugar and Run Away right. with Me. I think it's video game, so you don't uh, confuse it with video games. The Lana gonna, Del Rey song. Yeah, I was hoping that it was going to be a Lana Del Rey cover when I first saw the track listing, but <laughs> alas, it's not. But yeah, that you're right. There is this thing almost where he's using form as a like like the the pop song form as like a way to critique mass culture mm-hmm. cuz that is like one of the themes of the record this right. idea of like entertainment being like a narcotic for the public and and dulling us against uh the realities that we're uh being faced with and and maybe making us more complacent uh, mm-hmm. th- than we ought to be you know i i will say that like one of the things i really admire about this record is that i think it does exhibit once again his talent as a songwriter that um you know he can do these sort of grandiose you know prog folk epics like mm-hmm. illinois he can write a more confessional stripped down record like carrie and lowell or he can do these more lush poppy records like the ascension that have yeah. this sort of subversive undercurrent to it and i i mean to me like this record it, as epic as it is and as long as it is it's always very listenable like mm-hmm. there isn't really much on this record that like turned me off maybe the criticism of it is that there's also a lot again that feels more like zone out music it, it because it's so long it, it starts to feel a little bit like sonic wallpaper yeah. as you're listening to it like I, like I listened to this album quite a bit this week because it was an album that was very easy to put on while I was working on something else um, yeah, and, and and I could enjoy listening to it, but I didn't have to necessarily pay too close of attention to it 
all the time. Like it, it could just sort of blend into the background uh, very easily in, in the same way that those Spotify lists do, you know, those chill out Spotify lists. Yeah. I think this is going to help out this record in the long run, like regardless of like how it's received when it finally comes out, my guess. And I, and I base this on how similar records from similar artists are faced. You know, it's like maybe the reception initially is a bit lukewarm, but um, it sort of sneaks on at year end list, and like a year from now, people are like, "Oh yeah, that Sufjan Stevens album, it really held up better than I expected." Because people are probably going to give it more attention because it's Sufjan Stevens. You know, <laughs> people are going to like, you know, uh, take the time to really dive into it and explore the layers underneath, like what I think is intentionally kind of a an electronic placidity. I don't know if that's a word or a Queensrÿche song, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right. Episode eight, Queensryche. We finally got the pun in. But I, I, I think like when I listen to this record, even if it doesn't like necessarily like push Sufjan Stevens to a, a, an even higher echelon of like stardom or popularity or critical acclaim. I also I think it's just going to pro- it'll probably be nominated for some Grammys, maybe even win a Grammy just because of, you know, who he is. And I think like he's playing the long game here which is great because his pace, we won't hear another Sufjan Stevens proper album until 2025. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for me personally, I tend to prefer Sufjan Stevens working in this mode of like sort of like more electronic sounding music uh, versus his folkier side. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, like when Illinois was the big thing in indie music in, in, in 2005, I was a, I was one of the skeptics of that record. I found that album to be like a little too much. I was me. all in, man. All I mean, in. <laughs> even, even for the era, I thought like, this is like a little too like overly theatrical and precious for me. This is like, like the worst of Wes Anderson. It, it, like <laughs> he was on stage like with angel wings and stuff, like yeah. all that stuff. It's like, but like when he made Age of Odds and I think this record too, I just I think I just respond to that that side to him a little bit more. And you know, and, and I'll say too that like my feelings about his aughts era work has changed over time mm-hmm. too. I mean, Sufjan Stevens is someone that I think if you care about indie music, like you have to contend with his work. You know, he's just one of those major artists. And like even if you don't respond to it, it's not or it's not your favorite thing. And I'll say mm-hmm. like like I don't revere him in the same way that like a lot of other people do, but he's so obviously talented. And he's mm-hmm. had such a clear impact on this corner of the music world that you have to pay attention to him and you yeah, have to like take him seriously. It's appointment listening. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, again, I think we're I mean, you need to listen to the whole damn thing, man. Like you know, all in one I've heard calendar. the whole I've heard the whole thing, but like I've not like honestly, I want to just say that if Madden Twenty One wasn't like complete dog shit, I might have listened to. <laughs> that's a completely different thing. But like that's how that is my process. I put on the latest iteration of Madden and I just listen to whatever new records are out for like a couple hours. But this one, it's just like the most buggy video game ever created. And you know what? This is just completely tanking my fall. So if, <laughs> if if the quality of our episodes slip in the next month or so, like, don't blame me. Blame Madden 21. All right. Well, okay. Well, screw you, Madden 21. Yeah. You've derailed bring, Ian. Bring back NCAA football. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> 
but yeah, it, it, and again, I'll say like I I'm enjoying this record. And, I like it too. And, Why not? And, and as uh, you know, as the fall unfolds, I look forward to listening to it more because again, there's a lot to absorb, and I'm sure my feelings and perhaps yours, Ian, too, will change um, as we listen to it more. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's go to Fleet Foxes, another band that uh, you know came out of the aughts. They're, they formed in 2006. Their self-titled debut comes out in 2008, and that's a huge hit. They're huge. like, even more than Sufjan Stevens, they are like a huge mainstream sensation. They come back in 2011 with the album Helplessness Blues. That's also a big hit. And, you know, they are one of the signature bands of this era of indie, this rustic era. You have them, you have Bonnie Vare, you have like the Dark Was the Night scene, that whole thing. Oh, this yeah. um, music that is hearkening back to. Uh, you know, the music of the 60s and 70s in a way, but also has this very sort of millennial appeal to it, addressing contemporary concerns. Uh, they become these sort of touchstone artists uh, for people who were young at that time. And then Fleet Foxes, they go away for a long time. Uh, Robin Pecknold, the band's frontman, and really, I, it sounds like he is the one making almost everything on their albums. Like, I think he, I read an interview this week where they tour as a band, but it's basically just him in the studio, kind of going along with what we were talking about last week with bands, how mm-hmm. bands don't really exist anymore. Fleet Foxes is, is, in essence, another band like that. Well, I think that you have, like, Sky, who's the guitarist. Like, I think he does a lot of the production. And also, they'll always be a band to me because they have Morgan Henderson in the band now. He's a guy who plays, like, you know, he'll be the guy playing, like, French horn on stage and, like, other woodwinds. And that guy used to be in Blood Brothers, so... I will never let people forget that a guy who used to be in Blood Brothers is now in Fleet Foxes. <laughs> right. Well, of course, they also had a dude uh, that used to play drums for them, who Gosh. now goes by the name Father John Misty. And I have to say that like Fleet Foxes, for me, even though they're a band I like, they are still primarily the band to me that Father John Misty used to be in uh, before he started his solo career. Like They're the prequel band to his career, in my mind. Not for a lot of people, I know, but... That it, that's how it is for me. Anyway, there's this long <laughs> six-year gap where there's no Fleet Foxes music. And uh, Robin Pecknold like, went to become a college student. He's doing like the Rivers Cuomo thing where he's like, I want to go to school for a while instead of being a rock star. But then he comes back with the album Crack Up, which is this record that I tend to think is more impressive than good or more impressive than like fun you know what i mean like it's a record i put on and i'm like wow like the the production and the construction of these songs is like really great and it's like kind of complex and there's this great sort of it goes between like beautiful folk and like noise and back to beautiful folk but it's not like a terribly like fun record to put on like i know you (laughs) reviewed it for pitchfork right and you gave it a really good score i gave it a i gave it a very good review for pitchfork and I very rarely listen to it in the time since, but that being said, that doesn't mean it's like not a good record. I I still think it's extremely impressive. And I interviewed Robin earlier in the week and he called it kind of a prestige object. Um, He's proud of it as well. But like all the things that you mentioned, like it's the kind of record where if you give it your undivided attention and get pretty academic with it the way like you would when you're reviewing a record and like you want to say smart things and make it seem like you dug into the record a little more deeply than uh, other people have, it really becomes even more um, more of a you know a monumental work because 
uh, a lot of the things that were overlooked about it, uh, you know, lyrically, it's 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 a very political record it's about like, you know, police violence and uh, being in protests and a lot of things that could be kind of overshadowed by how pretty the vocals are or the fact that like the lyrics are pretty impenetrable or that there's like a lot of like ancient Greek mythology referenced in the song titles. But it, in, a, in a way, like, I think it was kind of par for the course for Fleet Foxes because, you know, leading up to uh, the release of the new record and interviewing Rob and I put on Helplessness Blues as well. And once again, I'm like, this is, you know, very impressive record, beautifully done. And it's like, wait, when was the last time I listened to this? You know, yeah. like Fleet, Fleet Foxes albums, like uh, it, those two are ones that I... I'm very impressed by. I think that they're very like I think they're one of the most definitive and strongest band. Like they they don't miss, but um, it's not something that like I have an emotional connection to. Whereas you know the 2008 records that's just been like absorbed through osmosis. Um, you know nowadays like I can yeah, one of my favorite jokes I do with like my girlfriend is anytime I hear like a late aughts like indie classic in like the supermarket like. White Winter Hymnal or like the first time I did it was Ariel Pink's Round and Round. I'll just like look over to her. It's like, this is a very important song for my culture. You know, like <laughs> it's true. We, There's a lot of songs like that by Fleet Foxes. I mean, I, I really think of like that first Fleet Foxes record as like, you know, the Obama era beginning, you know, like the enthusiasm gosh. of the Obama era, you know, like, like if there's ever a documentary made about 2008, like you're going to play something from that Fleet Fox. That, that or Dear Science by TV on the radio. I think I d- that is no. I just think there's like, you know, there's something sort of like hopeful about it. And again, it harkens back to the 60s a bit with like those CSN type harmonies on it. And yet again, it feels very much tied to that era. So I think to me, that's always very linked with like that late aughts moment of like, oh, Obama's going to come in and save us, you know, and I, which of and course th- now we look back on with a certain <laughs> changed perspective on it. But like when you're talking about Crack Up, and again, I think that record is really impressive, but I think it is an interesting comparison with the new record, which is called Shore. And of course, mm-hmm. that record came out on Tuesday at precisely 9.31 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in accordance with the fall equinox, which, you know, praise Fleet Foxes for knowing their brand and not being yeah. ashamed <laughs> to uh, to brandish it. But, you know, you were talking about all the things with Crack Up about how, you know, there's references to Greek mythology and there's, like, lyrics about pr- police brutality and all this. And I have to say that for me, my appreciation of Fleet Foxes is grounded basically in, like, melody and harmony. Mm-hmm. And if I... Am paying attention to the lyrics on a Fleet Foxes record, it's probably not a good sign because <laughs> I really just want punchy, beautiful folk rock songs. I think that is what they're best at doing. That's what they did on that first record. I think the the next two records get a little lost in the weeds for me sometimes with how convoluted they are. I think with Fleet Foxes songs, if they go on a little too long, they become boring. Like mm. a Fleet Foxes song should be about three or four minutes long. It's a perfect length. It delivers yeah. a hook. It delivers the harmony and the melody, and I'm usually on board with it. And it seems like Robin Pecknold agrees, at least on this record, because Shore is basically every song's about four minutes long. It's very punchy, very beautiful. I, to me, it's the most direct and accessible record they've made since their debut, and it's probably my favorite album that they've made since their debut. Um, <laughs> and it just made me think, like before we came on this episode, 
someone brought up Band of Horses on on Twitter, and you were talking about how like how the first two Band of Horses records are are fantastic. And I'm oh those the, oh man, the, I'm, I'm obviously everything way on board. all the time, man. Don't even get me fucking started. Oh man, like I'm I'm way on board with you about that. It always made me think like oh man, like now I want Band of Horses to make their version of Shore, like because I feel like there was a sort of back to basics element to shore like yeah I, I don't know if it was deliberate but it does feel like i'm gonna make a record like our first record because i know people love it and i'm good at it and it's like oh man band of horses should do that too like i <laughs> i want all the aughts you know bands to kind of re, you know go back to basics here but I, I i mean am i off base with that i mean to me like that's the appeal of this record because i really like it a lot absolutely and i think that um when you look at the reasons for why Shore turned out the way it did, um, when, you know, Robin has been very upfront, it's like, it's not because of like the reception of the record in any way, but when, 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 when you consider like what it took to like play those songs, like the, the tour was like really exhausting, uh, complicated. Like the shows were like three hours of pop usually and playing these six minute, very dense songs. Um, and he took the view of like, if I'm going to make like another Fleet Foxes record and not take like three, four, four, four or five years, because even on Helplessness Blues, he admitted to like kind of struggling with writer's block. What he wanted to do was just like put out a record, you know, fast, collaborative, breezy, um, and, you know, in a way like kind of a counterbalance to what Crack Up did. And I think that's why you see. You know, especially if we're going to compare it to, say, the new Sufjan album, like the reception of the new Fleet Foxes album has been largely positive, um, where it can be seen kind of as a referendum almost on Crack Up, which I think for some people, Crack Up is going to be like the contrarian's choice for the exact opposite reasons that you think the new one is their best since the, the oh, no. uh, self-titled. That's their age of odds, you know. That's, oh, yeah, that that's is their, their that's their odds, age yeah. of odds, you know. Just like I love, and I'm sure, like I, I'm gonna. It's funny. I had a recent moment with Crack Up where I was, I, where I, I pulled it off the shelf because I have a CD rack in my office and okay. I have that album on CD because I love CDs. <laughs> I pulled that out, and uh, that's how old school I am, man. And yeah. um, I was like, I'm gonna. It's like I, I remember liking that record when it came out. I wrote a positive review of it. I'm like, I'm gonna really get into Crack Up. And I listened to it, and I was like, I'm enjoying it, but I, I turned it off in the middle. I was like, I, I was like, that's enough. I, got, I just got tired out by it. Whereas this new Flea Foxes record, I've just been listening to it over and over again. And I, and I think, in a way, you're probably right. I think maybe this record, over time, people might get sick of it. Cause yeah, it's not, I think... You know, but like, just for now, though, I'm enjoying how breezy it is and how it's just kind of delivering the, the directness that I want from this band. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I listened to it the first time, like over the weekend, um, you know, I was driving up the coast. Um, one of the things that Robin uh, pointed out was that he wrote most of his lyrics while in the car. He would take these trips upstate New York and like just drive for eight hours at a time with nowhere to go. He, <laughs> I'll put his stuff on blast. He has a Toyota 4Runner. Uh, <laughs> he he likes to go surfing and camping. Like he's he's living that life now. And um, I think that's the kind of record it is where it's very collaborative, very like kind of take the focus off me and my like academic woes at Columbia University and just given something breezy. And like in a way, it's almost more suited to the moment than an album like The Ascension, because I think that 
what gets overlooked, uh, particularly when we have to like think of every single piece of music in the context of uh, our political state, is that people want counter programming. You know, like you 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 want like an album that you can kind of throw on and just maybe like enjoy yourself for like forty five minutes at a time before you go back to like just worrying about every how like our entire society is crumbling um but yeah i think one thing that like i would say a little disappointing about this record is when you look at like everyone that he got involved being like a couple of members of grizzly bear hamilton lighthouser um a couple of like new artists um is that man i just wish we could get one song with with robin pecknold and josh tillman together Oh um, yeah, I, I I don't know if like they I don't know what their relationship is like as people. I think they're pretty chill with each other. I think they congratulated each other when their records dropped in 2017. But I just try to picture like what like maybe they'd have like a Ghostface Raekwon dynamic or like one of those classic rap duos where you get like the one kind of excitable guy and the one dude who's like kind of the more of the straight man. Like wh- I, I just wish at some point those. Because he talk like Robin talks about like how much he wants to kind of uh, divert from the usual album cycle and do more collaborations and one offs and these things that have a lot less pressure on them than uh, you know putting out this massive fifty five minute block of work and um, I come like guys just please make it happen you know yeah you know there's part of me that want to see that too and uh, I mean I think there was a period like where they were not getting along mainly because like I think Josh Tillman would make veiled distance not very like, veiled not very veiled and I mean, very overt like you would talk about right. like, how he was just like completely miserable and like look you know I've already stated my bias in this regard I think uh you know he's exceeded what they've done on his own I I, I to me the difference between Tillman and Fleet Foxes is that he writes beautiful songs that also have like really funny and insightful lyrics. Whereas I don't think Fleet Fox's lyrics are all that good. I again, I, I I tend to think like if I'm paying attention to their lyrics, then it's it's not a good sign. On I Fleet think Fox's they write. Record. I think they write very underrated lyrics. Um, I don't know. I, I, I it's I okay. They, it, it kind of it veers into preciousness a little bit, but like I think what what happens with Helplessness Blues and like Crack Up, the reason that. Um, they get such positive reviews, despite the fact that, you know, maybe people like you and I sort of put them away for a while, is that when you really lean into uh, what Robin's writing about, it's not these, like, kind of frivolous, like, folk rocky sort of things. Like, as much as I love Band of Horses, when I lean into their lyrics, I'm like, I, I don't, like, the guy's got a song called Weed Party. Like, I don't really know what's going on with those, but... See, I'd rather I have that. Because I just feel like I don't know if Robin. I I appreciate his earnestness. And Fleet foxes like, need Fleet foxes need to make their dudes rock turn. That's what well, you're saying. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that I think you know. Again, like he seems like a very earnest guy, very thoughtful, like a very nice person. I'm sure he's a smart guy, but I just don't feel like his lyrics are all that insightful. Like when I've listened to them, that's uh. my personal take. And going back to the Tillman thing, I wonder if on some level he looks at Fleet Foxes as high school and like, do you want to go back to your high school? Uh, you know what I mean? But I don't know. It would be great like if they did like a duets record or something. If it was yeah. just like Tillman and, and Pecknell or they did like a, a song or two, that could be yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but indie cast needs to make it happen. Like, or, or should we go back to what we were saying earlier where they should start hating each other again and start ooh. doing some disses. That actually would be even better, I think. Yeah, because Josh, uh, like Josh Tillman's no longer like doing the media thing, which to me is like, 
I don't know. That's I feel like when Andre 3000 like stopped rapping and like you're started right. singing, it's like, dude, you're just giving such an incomplete, uh, you know, view of your artistry. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're, it's like we're, it, it's like Jordan retiring from the NBA in the mid '90s, man. Like, oh. I hope he comes back and does interviews because I know I've said this the, in the, many the, episodes. Can't leave, can't leave rap alone. The game needs him. Yeah. I don't know though. I feel like he's gonna stay away for a while, and that, and yeah. that may, and that's probably smarter for him, uh, career wise. Uh, but yeah. being he a journalist, needs th- he needs to think about us. You know, exactly. Can, can, can someone please think about the podcasters once in a while? All right, we've now reached the part of the episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where we talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, what do you recommend? All right, so when I was looking recently at the uh, Young Jesus uh, Spotify page, uh, for fans also like, one of the things that like really cracked me up is that it was pretty much all bands that have been mentioned on this podcast. Um, it was like wears and stay aside, stay inside dog, like bands that really don't have a heck of a lot to do with each other. But it leads me to think that maybe IndieCast is becoming kind of a subgenre. Maybe. Um, I think so. IndieCast rock. Yeah. And, for sure. and in, in that event, like my recommendation this week is pretty much within that realm. Um, it's a band called Teenage Halloween. Uh, they're, they just released their uh, self-titled new record on Don Giovanni, I believe, last week. And um, if, we're, if we're talking about, like, Rolling Stones list or, like, any sort of canonical list, like, I think looking back on it, any, any 2010s list that doesn't contain Against Me's Transgender Dysphoria Blues is, like, kind of kidding itself. I think when we look at that record as setting forth a new path for like kind of like popular punk rock where it's music that addresses, um, you know, I guess whether it's like transgender dysphoria or like, you know, queer culture or just like different races or whatever. Um, I think that really opened a lane for a lot of punk rock bands um, to do the, to, to, um, to engage with those sort of things in music Absolutely. that, that it, to engage it with music that sounds like very like fest like dude, like kind of dudes rock sort of music. And I think Teenage Halloween's record is very much an example of that. Uh, they are maybe the most New Jersey band you could imagine. Um, they, not just in the sense that it sounds a little bit like Titus Andronicus, where it's punk rock, but they put like, you know, some horns in there as well. Um, but if we're thinking about like Bouncing Souls or Lifetime as well, and I think the vocals in some way remind me of Get Up Kids. So if you like, put all those things together but just kind of addressing what it's like to be um you know a, a queer person in 2020 like struggling with or, or just like non-binary and struggling with those things and just our political system or like what it's like to try to like have a job these days it all comes together and it's a very easy listen because it's about it's i think it's like less than a half hour but very punchy very anthemic uh never really goes over the top and like where the skis, you know, go over a person's head. Um, like, I think that it's a record that might have a little trouble finding its audience because this is the sort of thing he makes you think, Oh, I want to see this live or it, or it has to compete with, you know, Sufjan Stevens and 
Deftones and, uh, you know, Father John missed, not Father John missed, see Flea Foxes uh, for attention. But this is one where I can see the people who would like this kind of music. Basically, if you like anything that we've talked about here in Recommendation Corner, uh, Teenage Halloween is going to be like right up your alley to the point where I'm like kind of shocked that it that hasn't already happened. Well, the album I'm going to be talking about is something that like I feel like one of us had to talk about this record on this podcast this week, and it's the new record by the Deftones. Idols. Oh, Deftones, <laughs> damn. <laughs> it's called Ohms. It's their ninth record. Of course, you and I both love Deftones. You love Deftones even more than me. You're a big Deftones Oof. booster. You, you Are you the biggest Deftones booster in modern music criticism, would you say? <laughs> um, I, they asked me to write the bio for the new record, which is why I won't be reviewing it. There you it. go. So, in, in some ways, I guess. I mean... Granted, there's probably like someone who at like, you know, Kerrang or uh, like, you know, one of those sort of publications that's been like really putting in the work since like Adrenaline. But I think that, I don't know, I would say that maybe in the indie sphere, I've been beating the drum for Deftones uh, like maybe longer and harder than anyone else. It, 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 It feels very rewarding right now to like think that like Deftones is on the level where it's just, it, where it's like something that's considered like extremely important, not just from the Kerrang or like Rock Hammer uh, people, but like amongst indie listeners. Well, they've had a very consistent career, of course. They've been around for 25 mm-hmm. years. I actually interviewed Chino Moreno recently where we talked about his entire discography, and it was a great piece that did really well. And I think the reason why readers responded to it is that Chino Moreno was very candid about the band's output. Uh, talking about albums sometimes not really being a, to his liking. And one record they talked about in particular was the previous Deftones record, Gore, which he had talked about being, for him, an instance of the band being really kind of disengaged from the process. And he and it really became one of those things like where he felt like they knew that during the making of the record, but it was almost too late. They had already made the record. So they, they put it out. They weren't terribly happy with it. That leads to. I cannot stand for the. I cannot stand for the gore slander. I think that record's awesome. See, but I totally get where they're coming from. And of course, you would say that because you're the biggest booster of Deftones in, in the indie <laughs> sphere. So thank you for saying that. But Chino was saying that he wasn't a big fan of gore, leading up to this new record, Ohms, and it does feel like a retrenchment in a way of them trying to almost like reboot themselves in a sense. They reteamed up with Terry Date the famed yes. hard rock producer who had worked on the first four Deftones records, hadn't worked with them in 17-some years, gets back involved in this record. And, um, you know, this is such a cliche to say about like a late-period record by a legacy band, but it does feel like a return to form in a lot of ways. It is, I think, the heaviest record that they've made in a while. Like, if you are a fan of like those earlier Deftones records that Terry Date worked on, and maybe you haven't been as you know into them lately. This is, I think, a record that you're going to want to reconnect with. And listening to it, it actually made me think a lot about the Hum record that came out this year, Inlet, where oh, yeah. I think there are elements that those two records share, specifically heavy riffing guitars and like cool synth sounds, sort of laying a bed underneath them. There's a couple songs on the Deftones record that does that extremely well. Um, and I do think also that the type of person that is going to love the Hum record 
And I think that is you and I, we're both in that camp. <laughs> They're definitely going to respond to this Deftones record. Like, yeah, that's, this hum, is going to be the record like, you're going to want to hear this week more than these sort of folk rock records that we were talking about <laughs> in the body of our podcast. If you're like, I don't want to hear Sufjan Stevens or Fleet Foxes, I want something harder. This Deftones record is the one you're going to want to put on. Exactly. And I think that like the Hum reference, it, it totally makes sense because Hum is you know, always been one of the biggest influences on Deftones. They were actually one of the bands that played at the Dia de los Deftones Festival in 2019, them and like Megan Thee Stallion and, 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 and other acts like that. But I mean, the new Deftones record, like my opinion of it, I, you know, I don't think Deftones have ever made a record that's anything less than like pretty good. And I think this one is, it's really strong for a lot of the reason you mentioned. I think if I did have an issue with the ones that, um, you know, the, like Diamond Eyes or Koino Yoken or um, Gore, it's that the production is was super like radio rock, like totally brick walled. And like if you listen to it on headphones, it kind of sounds like just it, it's like it's almost like too loud, which is something you probably shouldn't say about a Deftones record. But I think <laughs> that this one almost very, almost similar to um, Shore is that in a way it's a bit of a referendum on, a, on an album that wasn't entirely popular amongst uh, you know the band or the listeners it's more like yeah here in, here's here's what we want you know we know you want to see Steph Carpenter play a nine string guitar <laughs> um, and I mean I get carpal tunnel just looking at this these videos this guitar is just out of control. Um, I think it's the type of record that will be very um, well received, particularly because, you know, the type of person who's going to review a Deftones record in 2020 is the type of person who was very into the band. Like they get this shot once every four years to like, here's why Deftones is like as important as all these other bands that like seem cooler. And will it, I don't know, will it stand the test of time alongside like White Pony or Around the Fur? I'm not sure, but I definitely think that this one, when when we when we start to inevitably do, um, you know, Deftones uh, ranking albums on Twitter, I think this will hang in the midsection. You know, it's definitely going to hang higher than, like, say, the self-titled or Saturday Night Wrist, but in, a little below the first tier. So it's like it's 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 a strong Deftones record for people who love Deftones records. Yeah, I mean, I think for a le- IE me. <laughs> and I think like a legacy band that's like 25 years in, into their career, like that's a pretty great achievement to like get into the middle. I you know, honestly, cuz you're not necessarily looking yeah. for the band you know, I mean, look, if they made a, a record as good as White Pony in 2020, that'd be incredible. But you know, that's not terribly realistic. I mean, bands don't usually no. do that, but to do a record that like is maybe like their, you know, what like fourth best record or fifth best record? Yeah. I mean, that's like a pretty Yola great t- Yo- achievement, I think. Yola Tango status, you know, like be release that really good record that like maybe pops in at number forty two on year end lists, and <laughs> you know just keep it moving. And you know you're not gonna hit the high water marks of the nineties or two thousands, but I mean the fact that like Deftones are around this long, and when you look at like who their peers were. Um, not even just like the new metal bands, but like, I don't know, like Smashing Pumpkins or whatever. Uh, it's kind of amazing that like they're still making records that are not just like 
tolerable or not embarrassing, but like super good. Well, yeah, like like ones that like move the needle. Yeah, like they're one of those bands that you're like, oh yeah, like they have a new record coming out. I actually want to hear that. I'm excited about it. Like I have a even yeah. expectation that this is going to be good. Which yeah, like <laughs> most bands that put out their debut in 1995, I don't think you would say that about in uh, 2020. Although I guess Hum, are they the exception? Because like is Inlet their best well, album? Huh. No, I would I would not say it's their best album, but at the same it's time, in the, like it's they, in the, I mean, they don't have as many albums. It's, it's definitely in the top three. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I think it's a pretty. I know it's awesome, record. but I I wouldn't I wouldn't put it up against like you'd prefer national. I think that's the classic, but to me, but like also, Hum wasn't releasing albums, you know, like throughout the two thousands and the two thousand tens. That um, like I can't think of. Like it's really hard to think of a popular rock band who's um, you know been as I don't know if prolific's the right word because they don't release albums particularly often, but who have been, who have sustained that level of quality for as long as Deftones have. No, they're, like, they're really. I, 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 it's really, it's really, really hard to think of like anyone aside from I don't know maybe like radiohead yeah or yeah i mean you mentioned yola tango before they're they're a band that still puts out but i'm talking records. about like a popular right exactly band, like a major label rock absolutely band. Like, and they are i think prolific in that sphere like to put out a record at yeah. their age every four years or so i mean that there aren't <laughs> i mean like radiohead for instance they've put out four records what in the last say like 15 years or so yeah you know um you know they yeah they put out albums like every five or six years now so yeah, like for Deftones to continue that pace, I think is is pretty impressive. So we love that record, I think, or we're 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 at least yeah, recommending I'm a, I'm a, it. Both of us on board, and totally. I'm gonna definitely yeah. check out best record best record we've talked about today. <laughs> I'm gonna check out Teenage Halloween. I'm excited to do that uh, for the indie cast core fans out there. Uh, <laughs> we have come to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We will be back with more. News and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 